0: Sylvie AND BRUNO by Lewis Carroll. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.
1: CAST OF CHARACTERS Narrator Read by Irie; Man One Station Master Tailor Peasant And Guard Read by Algie Pug Chancellor Read by Beth Thomas Crowd, Chorus, and Woman too, read by Elizabeth Clett. Bruno and Urchin, read by Francis Brown and Cheyenne Donnell. Man Two, Footman, Sentinel, and Father, read by Peter Tucker. Sub Warden, Vice Warden, read by Andrew Coleman. Man in Livery, Baron, and Dog King read by alan wayman warden beggar read by brian lawney sylvie and lame child read by amanda friday the professor read by ernst patanama and bart arthur forrester read by ben Lindsay clark lady muriel orme read by melanie smith sub warden's wife and woman one Read by Capricia Page Aug, Daxund Girl One and Dolly Read by Lucy Perry Gardner Read by Leonard Wilson Crowd, Music Master, Head Growler, Chorus and Frogs Read by Phil Benson Earl Read by Peter Yearsley The Other Professor Read by Larsh Rolander Voice one, young lady and girl two, read by Libby Stevenson. Crowd, Chorus and Woman three, read by Christine G. Crowd, servant, girl three, housekeeper and mother, read by Ethel Bos Eric Linden, read by Jessie Yun End of Cast of Characters
0: Preface one little picture in this book the magic locket at page seventy seven was drawn by miss alice havers i did not state this on the title page since it seemed only due to the artist of all these to my mind wonderful pictures that his name should stand there alone the descriptions at pages three hundred and eighty six and three hundred and eighty seven of sunday as spent by children of the last generation are quoted verbatim from a speech made to me by a child friend and a letter written to me by a lady friend the chapters headed fairy sylvie and bruno's revenge are a reprint with a few alterations of a little fairy tale which i wrote in the year eighteen sixty seven at the request of the late mrs gatty for aunt judy's magazine which she was then editing it was in eighteen seventy four i believe that the idea first occurred to me of making it the nucleus of a longer story as the years went on i jotted down at odd moments all sorts of odd ideas and fragments of dialogue that occurred to me who knows how with a transitory suddenness that left me no choice but either to record them then and there or to abandon them to oblivion Sometimes one could trace to their source these random flashes of thought, as being suggested by the book one was reading, or struck out from the flint of one's own mind by the steel of a friend's chance remark, but they had also a way of their own, of occurring, apropos of nothing, specimens of that hopelessly illogical phenomenon, an effect without a cause such for example was the last line of the hunting of the snark which came into my head as i have already related in the theatre for april eighteen eighty seven quite suddenly during a solitary walk and such again have been passages which occurred in dreams and which i cannot trace to any antecedent cause whatever there are at least two instances of such dream suggestions in this book one my lady's remark it often runs in families just as a love for pastry does at page eighty eight the other eric linden's badinage about having been in domestic service at page three hundred and thirty two and thus it came to pass that i found myself at last in possession of a huge unwieldy mass of literature if the reader will kindly excuse the spelling which only needed stringing together upon the thread of a consecutive story to constitute the book i hoped to write only the task at first seemed absolutely hopeless and gave me a far clearer idea than i ever had before of the meaning of the word chaos and i think it must have been ten years or more before i had succeeded in classifying these odds and ends sufficiently to see what sort of a story they indicated for the story had to grow out of the incidents not the incidents out of the story i am telling all this in no spirit of egoism but because i really believe that some of my readers will be interested in these details of the genesis of a book which looks so simple and straightforward a matter when completed that they might suppose it to have been written straight off page by page as one would write a letter beginning at the beginning and ending at the end it is no doubt possible to write a story in that way and if it be not vanity to say so i believe that i could myself if i were in the unfortunate position for i do hold it to be a real misfortune of being obliged to produce a given amount of fiction in a given time that i could fulfil my task and produce my tale of bricks as other slaves have done one thing at any rate i could guarantee as to the story so produced that it should be utterly commonplace should contain no new ideas whatever and should be very very weary reading this species of literature has received the very appropriate name of padding which might fitly be defined as that which all can write and none can read that the present volume contains no such writing i dare not avow sometimes in order to bring a picture into its proper place it has been necessary to eke out a page with two or three extra lines but i can honestly say i have put in no more than i was absolutely compelled to do my readers may perhaps like to amuse themselves by trying to detect in a given passage the one piece of padding it contains While arranging the slips into pages, I found that the passage, which now extends from the top of page 35 to the middle of page 38, was three lines too short. I supplied the deficiency, not by interpolating a word here and a word there, but by writing in three consecutive lines. Now can my readers guess which they are? a harder puzzle if a harder be desired would be to determine as to the gardener's song in which cases if any the stanza was adapted to the surrounding text and in which if any the text was adapted to the stanza perhaps the hardest thing in all literature at least i have found it so by no voluntary effort can i accomplish it i have to take it as it comes is to write anything original and perhaps the easiest is, when once an original line has been struck out, to follow it up, and to write any amount more to the same tune. I did not know if Alice in Wonderland was an original story. I was at least no conscious imitator in writing it. But I do know that since it came out, something like a dozen story-books have appeared on identically the same pattern the path i timidly explored believing myself to be the first ever that burst into that silent sea is now a beaten highroad all the wayside flowers have long ago been trampled into the dust and it would be courting disaster for me to attempt that style again hence it is that in sylvie and bruno i have striven with i know not what success to strike out yet another new path be it bad or good it is the best i can do it is written not for money and not for fame but in the hope of supplying for the children whom i love some thoughts that may suit those hours of innocent merriment which are the very life of childhood and also in the hope of suggesting to them and to others some thoughts that may prove i would fain hope not wholly out of harmony with the graver cadences of life if i have not already exhausted the patience of my readers i would like to seize this opportunity perhaps the last i shall have of addressing so many friends at once of putting on record some ideas that have occurred to me as to books desirable to be written which i should much like to attempt but may not ever have the time or power to carry through in the hope that if i should fail and the years are gliding away very fast to finish the task i have set myself other hands may take it up first a child's bible the only real essentials of this would be carefully selected passages suitable for a child's reading and pictures one principle of selection which i would adopt would be that religion should be put before a child as a revelation of love no need to pain and puzzle the young mind with the history of crime and punishment on such a principle i should for example omit the history of the flood the supplying of the pictures would involve no great difficulty no new ones would be needed hundreds of excellent pictures already exist the copyright of which has long ago expired, and which simply need photo or some similar process for their successful reproduction. The book should be handy in size, with a pretty attractive-looking cover, in a clear legible type, and above all with abundance of pictures, pictures, pictures. Secondly, a book of pieces selected from the Bible, not single texts, but passages of from ten to twenty verses each, to be committed to memory. Such passages would be found useful to repeat to oneself and to ponder over, on many occasions when reading is difficult if not impossible, for instance when lying awake at night, on a railway journey, when taking a solitary walk in old age, when eyesight is failing or wholly lost and best of all when illness while incapacitating us for reading or any other occupation condemns us to lie awake through many weary silent hours at such a time how keenly one may realize the truth of david's rapturous cry o how sweet are thy words unto my throat yea sweeter than honey unto my mouth i have said passages rather than single texts because we have no means of recalling single texts memory needs links and here are none one may have a hundred texts stored in the memory and not be able to recall at will more than half a dozen and those by mere chance whereas once get hold of any portion of a chapter that has been committed to memory and the whole can be recovered all hangs together thirdly a collection of passages both prose and verse from books other than the bible there is not perhaps much in what is called uninspired literature a misnomer i hold if shakespeare was not inspired one may well doubt if any man ever was that will bear the process of being pondered over a hundred times still there are such passages enough i think to make a goodly store for the memory these two books of sacred and secular passages for memory will serve other good purposes besides merely occupying vacant hours they will help to keep at bay many anxious thoughts worrying thoughts uncharitable thoughts unholy thoughts let me say this in better words than my own by copying a passage from that most interesting book robertson's lectures on the epistles to the corinthians lecture forty nine if a man finds himself haunted by evil desires and unholy images which will generally be at periodical hours let him commit to memory passages of scripture or passages from the best writers in verse or prose let him store his mind with these as safeguards to repeat when he lies awake in some restless night or when despairing imaginations or gloomy suicidal thoughts beset him let these be to him the sword turning everywhere to keep the way of the garden of life from the intrusion of profaner footsteps fourthly a shakespeare for girls that is an edition in which everything not suitable for the perusal of girls of say from ten to seventeen should be omitted few children under ten would be likely to understand or enjoy the greatest of poets and those who have passed out of girlhood may safely be left to read shakespeare in any edition expurgated or not that they may prefer but it seems a pity that so many children in the intermediate stage should be debarred from a great pleasure for want of an edition suitable to them neither bowdler's chambers's brandram's nor Condell's boudoir shakespeare seems to me to meet the want they are not sufficiently expurgated Bowdler's is the most extraordinary of all. Looking through it I am filled with a deep sense of wonder, considering what he has left in, that he should have cut anything out. Besides relentlessly erasing all that is unsuitable on the score of reverency or decency, I should be inclined to omit also all that seems too difficult or not likely to interest young readers." the resulting book might be slightly fragmentary but it would be a real treasure to all british maidens who have any taste for poetry if it be needful to apologize to any one for the new departure i have taken in this story by introducing along with what will i hope prove to be acceptable nonsense for children some of the graver thoughts of human life it must be to one who has learned the art of keeping such thoughts wholly at a distance in hours of mirth and careless ease to him such a mixture will seem no doubt ill-judged and repulsive and that such an art exists i do not dispute with youth good health and sufficient money it seems quite possible to lead for years together a life of unmixed gaiety with the exception of one solemn fact with which we are liable to be confronted at any moment even in the midst of the most brilliant company or the most sparkling entertainment a man may fix his own times for admitting serious thought for attending public worship for prayer for reading the bible all such matters he can defer to that convenient season which is so apt never to occur at all but he cannot defer for one single moment the necessity of attending to a message which may come before he has finished reading this page this night shalt thy soul be required of thee the ever-present sense of this grim possibility has been in all ages note at the moment when i had written these words there was a knock at the door and a telegram was brought me announcing the sudden death of a dear friend an incubus that men have striven to shake off few more interesting subjects of inquiry could be found by a student of history than the various weapons that have been used against this shadowy foe saddest of all must have been the thoughts of those who saw indeed an existence beyond the grave but an existence far more terrible than annihilation an existence as filmy impalpable all but invisible spectres drifting about through endless ages in a world of shadows with nothing to do nothing to hope for nothing to love in the midst of the gay verses of that genial bon vivant horace there stands one dreary word whose utter sadness goes to one's heart it is the word exilium in the well-known passage omnes eodem cogimur omnium versatur unura sirius ocius sors exiture et nos in aeternum exilium impositura yes to him this present life spite of all its weariness and all its sorrow was the only life worth having all else was exile does it not seem almost incredible that one holding such a creed should ever have smiled and many in this day i fear even though believing in an existence beyond the grave far more real than horace ever dreamed of yet regard it as a sort of exile from all the joys of life and so adopt horace's theory and say let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die we go to entertainments such as the theatre i say we for i also go to the play whenever i get a chance of seeing a really good one and keep at arm's length if possible the thought that we may not return alive yet how do you know dear friend whose patience has carried you through this garrulous preface that it may not be your lot when mirth is fastest and most furious to feel the sharp pang or the deadly faintness which heralds the final crisis TO SEE WITH VAGUE WONDER ANXIOUS FRIENDS BENDING OVER YOU, TO HEAR THEIR TROUBLED WHISPERS, PERHAPS YOURSELF TO SHAPE THE QUESTION WITH TREMBLING LIPS, IS IT SERIOUS? AND TO BE TOLD, YES, THE END IS NEAR. AND, oh, HOW DIFFERENT ALL LIFE WILL LOOK WHEN THOSE WORDS ARE SAID. HOW DO YOU KNOW, I SAY, THAT ALL THIS MAY NOT HAPPEN TO YOU THIS NIGHT? AND DARE YOU, KNOWING THIS, SAY TO YOURSELF, well perhaps it is an immoral play perhaps the situations are a little too risky the dialogue a little too strong the business a little too suggestive i don't say that conscience is quite easy but the piece is so clever i must see it this once i'll begin a stricter life to-morrow to-morrow and to-morrow and to-morrow who sins in hope who sinning says sorrow for sin god's judgments days, against god's spirit he lies quite stops mercy with insult dares and drops like a scorched fly that spins in vain upon the access of its pain then takes its doom to limp and crawl blind and forgot from fall to fall let me pause for a moment to say that i believe this thought of the possibility of death if calmly realized and steadily faced would be one of the best possible tests as to our going to any scene of amusement being right or wrong if the thought of sudden death acquires for you a special horror when imagined as happening in a theatre then be very sure the theatre is harmful for you however harmless it may be for others and that you are incurring a deadly peril in going be sure the safest rule is that we should not dare to live in any scene in which we dare not die but once realize what the true object is in life that it is not pleasure not knowledge not even fame itself that last infirmity of noble minds but that it is the development of character the rising to a higher nobler purer standard the building up of the perfect man and then so long as we feel that this is going on and will we trust go on for evermore death has for us no terror it is not a shadow but a light not an end but a beginning one other matter may perhaps seem to call for apology that i should have treated with such entire want of sympathy the british passion for sport which no doubt has been in bygone days and is still in some forms of it an excellent school for hardihood and for coolness in moments of danger but i am not entirely without sympathy for genuine sport i can heartily admire the courage of the man who with severe bodily toil and at the risk of his life hunts down some man-eating tiger and i can heartily sympathize with him when he exults in the glorious excitement of the chase and the hand-to-hand struggle with the monster brought to bay but i can but look with deep wonder and sorrow on the hunter who at his ease and in safety can find pleasure in what involves for some defenseless creature wild terror and a death of agony deeper if the hunter be one who has pledged himself to preach to men the religion of universal love deepest of all if it be one of those tender and delicate beings whose very name serves as a symbol of love thy love to me was wonderful passing the love of women whose mission here is surely to help and comfort all that are in pain or sorrow farewell farewell but this i tell to thee thou wedding guest he prayeth well who loveth well both man and bird and beast he prayeth best who loveth best all things both great and small for the dear god who loveth us he made and loveth all End of preface.